Another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today, I have the professor. Hello, DJ. How's it going? All right. Apart from the universe conspiring to prevent us from recording this episode, <laughs> I think the universe is that scared of the new Powerpuff Girls script. Oh, <laughs> that that oh, that that script. <laughs> it's not good. It's never good, <laughs> and. Oh man, that 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 script drop was a result of um the network saying that they wanted to rework the pilot episode because <laughs> and quoted by uh C- the CEO Mark Pedowitz. <laughs> oh, that's an unfortunate name. I know. <laughs> the initial pilot was too campy and not rooted in reality. <laughs> Really? Uh, so, your- is this the original pilot, or is it the new one? It's the original pilot. <laughs> oh, and it's so bad. Like, I, I read I read the whole thing, okay? So <laughs> I, got I. This, I, got I even wrote notes. <laughs> you got notes! <laughs> I do. Covered in ginger beer now. <laughs> so, <laughs> we tried recording yesterday, except uh-huh. that my mic boom collapsed and knocked my ginger beer over. And I then had to go and clean my keyboard. Oh man! <laughs> oh, and, and okay, I, I've got to say this, man. I I saw the whole. Th- I read the whole thing, and I w- and I looked at the people that were behind it. And here's the funny part: this was written by an Oscar-winning writer. I repeat, an Oscar-winning writer. Yeah, that's not working for you, DJ. How about you just say it in your normal voice? Ah, oh, man. Yeah, it was. It, 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 the writer for this script is an Oscar-winning writer, and her claim to fame was Juno. The movie. that was pretty well received, wasn't it? Yeah, that was pretty. It was well received. And that's is that it. what she got the Oscar for? Yeah. Hang on a second. Let me let me, let me find it. Uh, yeah, Cody Diab- Diablo Cody. That's her name. So yeah, Diablo Cody. I'm looking at Wikipedia page right. So she received critical acclaiming for acclaim for her screenwriting de- debut film Juno, winning the Academy Award Best Original Screenplay, the BAFTA for Best Original Screenplay, and uh, Independent Spirit Award for Best First Screenplay, and the Writers Guild. And she then g- went on to co- uh, write and produce the United States of Tara, and uh, she also wrote and produced the horror comedy Jennifer's Body, and that's all I could think of for the big ones. Which- well, those are all pretty well received, so this seems like a big misstep. <laughs> Well, that's the the scary part is even the, even though it's a big misstep, this misstep is filled with so much cringe. Oh yeah. <laughs> what was the, okay? Well, okay, before we go uh, before we go deep down into the script, when, well, first impressions. Let's get the let me get the first impressions from you. Well, I have no idea who it's targeted as. Like, it's a reboot of a children's show. So is it targeted at modern kids? Is it targeted at kids who watched it when they were young? That's I <laughs> lean towards the latter. <laughs> but, you know, it sort of feels a bit Bojack Horseman-y. Really? They're, yeah, because they're going for the angle of the uh, washed-up celebrities. And yeah. a lot of the humor sounds more like something you'd see in Bojack. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I I, I kind of agree with you on the whole um with the whole BoJack Horseman angle that they're going for, <laughs> but uh, for me, my first impression when I saw this, it was just they've really amped up the social commentary angle to the, to a T, <laughs> like to the point where it was just okay, we're gonna make uh we we're gonna make it so bad that even um that we we're gonna make it even we're gonna make it so bad. That not even the so not even the social commentary people will love this show. Yeah, it's like you crossed Hancock with Bojack, and none of it was good. <laughs> oh man! Like the first half of Hancock, before it gets into the whole love triangle thing, is all right. It's you know really crude, but that's what they're going for. They're going for a superhero who isn't somebody you should look up to. 
Like you compare this to the, you, you compare this to the Powerpuff Girls cartoons. It was like the Powerpuff Girls cartoon, wholesome, nice, funny, and um, at, at some t- at, there were some dark episodes, but it was it, it ended in a good note, kind of It it taught you some values at least. They do spend a lot of time talking about how uh, they have the brand to protect. <laughs> and canonically it seems this pilot is sort of a separate universe to the tv show because they do mention the tv show yeah in a bad light as in a bad light yeah (laughs) okay that that's a good transition to the script because man this script (laughs) so what part of the script uh caught your eye uh, the part reading. that jumped out the most is when they list a whole bunch of tr- like of names of Trump and his goons, <laughs> and so I couldn't figure out the context and how that worked into it. <laughs> but no, the part that probably jumped out most to me is that um, first the writer can't do calculations, basic maths, <laughs> because the Powerpuff Girls. It says that they were created and they were seven years old when they were created. Then 17 years later, they're 17 years old and getting ready to go to uni. <laughs> so where did the seven years go? <laughs> did they age slower than normal people? Like, this is the real question. Oh, uh, so did- the uh, along that line, uh, Drake and Sarah Bellum were dating in this version. Yeah. Wasn't Cerebellum a, vic- uh, a villain in the original? No, in the uh, cartoon series, Cerebellum is the uh, mayor's assistant. Oh, okay. She's the uh, bl- she's the redhead with. Uh, it doesn't show her face, but she would yeah. be like the um, the voice of reason in a sense. Yeah, like- it's been a long time, but um, yeah. So Professor Drake and Cerebellum are dating, and at one point they talk about how long their relationship's been. Even though in a flashback scene, it describes them as dating. In this later scene, they say how long they've been dating and it's not as long as it would have had to be. <laughs> oh, an uh, interesting fact. The guy that's playing the professor in this, enti- in this series is the guy playing as Turk in Scrubs, which makes it really awkward. Why does that make it awkward? I mean, it's... Like, it, okay, in this, in this version of Powerpuff Girls, in the script, they made... Uh, Professor Utonium as like this typical showbiz dad, always controlling the the um the girls and stuff. In in the in, like uh, yeah, uh, it's and to- ruining their uh, investments <laughs> by investing into the housing crisis, like prior to the two thousand and eight housing crisis. Uh, fidget spinners and cronuts. <laughs> cronuts. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, and it does feel a bit sort of out of character that, you know, this scientist who created the Powerpuff Girls is really just uh, into the showbiz. (laughs) But, I mean, technically it is a different universe to the animated show, so kind of understandable. But, man, like, I agree with you there, it's a different universe. But the skit, what the funny part is, is how what... What what has what became of them? Like you have the seven year old girls, like um, saving the seven to seventeen year old. They they've started saving people and stuff. And then after one one incident, they decided to go go about their separate lives. What happened in their separate lives? There is- was a, a few more incidents. Yeah, it, like oh, they yeah. show the uh, the problem is I think they don't really explain what broke them up, other than generically that uh. Mentioning that they killed Mojo. Yeah. (laughs) Who in this version is a human and not a monkey. (laughs) He has a pet monkey, but Mojo is a human and has a human son named Jojo. (laughs) Wait, is this a Jojo's reference? (laughs) Wait, what do you mean Jojo's reference? Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, right, right. That and that mean because everything's a Jojo's reference? <laughs> nah, I don't think so. <laughs> it would be funny if it was. Yeah. Um, oh. So a lot of the characters have changed, which kind of excused because it's a different universe. But, but, but the change is so bad, though. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't... Um, I don't think they explain the background of how they got to where they are where they're they're washed up celebrities. Uh, And it does have a sort of satirical take on it, pointing out that they're, you know, running away from the trauma of being public figures all their lives. 
but um the it kind of just shows one event where Mojo... Um, oh, no, I suppose they do show... Okay, so they say that the Powerpuff Girls killed Mojo. Yeah. And I suppose they do show that. I thought that they hadn't, but now I realize that is shown in the script. But they yeah, accidentally kill Mojo while he's in a giant battle bot trying to argue that the Powerpuff Girls are the ones responsible for the monster attacks. And then it cuts to them, like, ten years later coming back to town to uh, receive their inheritance <laughs> from the the family trust thing and how they hate each other now and all of that. But, it yeah, the plot felt pretty childish, like something you'd see in a, a normal episode of Powerpuff Girls. But then there was that BoJack angle that didn't really mesh. And I'm just reading through it like, yeah, they're talking about one of the girls having a leaked sex tape. <laughs> and... <laughs> Oh no! Oh, you know, oh, you mean bubbles? <laughs> yeah, leaked sex tapes and drugs, and <laughs> it doesn't fit the tone of the the plot. Yeah, you know what's you? I've just realised this. Okay, so the casting for Powerpuff Girls. So you got um, Dove Cameron. She's uh, she she's the one that um that plays bubbles in the um. Dove Cameron, interestingly enough, she is a she's a Disney she's a Disney um actress. Like she was famous for she's famous for one of her um one of her shows called Live and Maddie, basically. And it's a it's basically a comedy show that in Disney I'm going like man a Disney star playing in this that does not sound right. I don't know. A lot of the Disney stars tend to have disappeared afterwards. <laughs> Wasn't Macaulay Culkin a Disney star? I don't probably. Is Home Alone a Disney movie? Nah, nah, nah. I doubt it. But it, but that's so. But yeah, you're right. Like, well, it's on it's, Disney Plus now. Yeah, yeah, possibly. But man, this script with uh, so much. There's so much like references to outside to real world to real world stuff. It makes you feel like the suspension of disbelief has gone out the window. I took a and. And died in a bloody mess. Yeah, yeah. They brought in all of these real world references that just weren't needed. Like the the one th- in, in in this entire script, the one thing that really catched my, uh, really caught my eye. By the way, it was the one where. Give me a second. Okay, I found it. Uh, Home Alone is by Fox. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, the one the one bit in that entire script that caught my eye, I, I still find it hilarious. It was uh, okay. So there's a scene where they're going. They're, they're going to this place called the the volcano, which is basically a night a nightclub slash pub. Doesn't and, Mojo Jojo have his base built on an actual volcano? No, it's actually on an on an observatory. Okay, I yeah. you know I'll admit I haven't watched a show in years, twenty years or something. That's fair. Oh, but in this one, so there's one. Um, so there is. So there's a bar called the uh, Volcano, and it's owned by the Rowdy Rough Boys, which in this universe don't have powers. <laughs> Bizarrely. Yeah, they just pick three random guys and they're like you're the male version of the Powerpuff Girls, and try <laughs> to cash in on the on the fame. Oh, and I like how um, one of them met the Powerpuff Girls, and uh, he doesn't hate, he doesn't like bubbles. And the reason why was, bu- as uh, to quote, "Last time I saw you, you broke off our engagement ring and told me you had pawned it, pawned the ring for drugs." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just think you know, I understand what they were sort of trying to get at with the sort of Hancock Bojack type. Uh, type type story. You know, you got the washed up superheroes who uh, out of showbiz and sort of laughing stock now. And oh, uh, what was the, my other favorite part in that entire script was the um. Oh, I, I gotta find it. it. It's pretty funny. Uh, second. Um. Oh yeah, here we go. When when the girls decide to come back home and they meet this, they they meet this fan. Oh yeah, they meet this fan and uh, she goes. Hang on a second. Where can I find? Oh yeah. So uh, meet this little girl named Henrietta. She goes, "Hello, I'm Henrietta. I'm a huge fan. Blossom is my favorite, but all of you are feminist icons." <laughs> I'm like, damn. Yeah, they brought up a lot of feminism in that, and how the Powerpuff Girls were feminist icons. But that also sounded like very uh, intelligent. I suppose she's supposed to be a super genius. 
But she's nine years old and she's the main villain of the first episode. <laughs> but I think the ending doesn't suit it either. At the end of the first episode, they save Townsville from one villain and suddenly everyone loves them again and they decide they're going back into the superhero business. Uh... <laughs> I, you can't... The character development's too fast. Where are you going to go from there? <laughs> Like and then the uh, then the other part was um Drake Eternium's deep dark secrets in his lab. Like what the hell? Oh, he's got a, a museum of bad guys. <laughs> oh, I'd do oh. that. <laughs> oh, by the way, um, not the other funny part in that entire uh, script was the part when um Blossom is uh, on the floor when she fainted, <laughs> and one of the guys, wake up, Blossom, or else we'll leak your stuff everywhere. <laughs> Leak your nudes. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, were they the ones who leaked the the Bubbles sex tape? No, I don't think so. It's so weird saying that, considering the characters, like, I still know them as the... The kids, yeah. kids, yeah. Yeah, It sounds so wrong. I know. Like, what is wrong with... Like, uh, what is wrong? I'm I'm in disbelief. Like, Jesus, how did you get this wrong? Oh, and, yeah, and- I think they shouldn't have gone for the Powerpuff Girls. Like, it feels like they're piggybacking on the fame of the Powerpuff Girls to tell a story that doesn't really suit the Powerpuff Girls. And because of that, they're just shoehorning it in. Yeah. Like, yeah. the Hancock Bojack crossover sort of story could be really good if it was done well. There's a lot of. Uh, Anti-heroes and all of that are pretty popular at the moment and have been for a few years now. So I reckon they could have done a you know a really good comedy or even a drama like something like BoJack about a washed-up superhero. As long as they leave the weird Charlie's Ferron love triangle out. <laughs> okay, off topic, but seriously, what happened to Hancock? How did I know they had two two different writers? <laughs> But how did they mess it up that badly? That was just like two different scripts stuck together. They could have. They they had they had so much potential and <laughs> they screwed it up. Yep, telling two entirely unrelated stories. But you know, a story about a washed up superhero trying to regain the trust of the public and all of that is a really interesting topic. I just don't think they should have done it with the Powerpuff Girls because nah. they've tried to the villains and all of that. The villain and the plot feel like something out of a kid show, but the characters feel like something out of a raunchy comedy. And uh, that, that being said, though, it, it's not a raunchy comedy. It, it feels like a raunchy adult novel, more like. Like, yeah, all this, this is, melodrama. Um, all the alcoholism and drugs feels more <laughs> like Archer than... You know, and I like how it's Bojack, and, and I like and I like how it's but it's Bubbles, the most wholesome person in the entire show, is the one that gets all the alcohol and the drugs. <laughs> not, yeah, not a bit Bubbles. of a you know, bit of a um a character flip. And what's weird is how Drake, like, there were tr- someone was someone said this. I was watching a live stream reading of this script. Someone said it's it's weird how Drake it, the whole Drake ha- and having um four having three girls it's it's kind of like ironic to um the real singer Drake <laughs> and his relationship with 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 girls or something like that. I mean, I they like, do mention that uh, <laughs> not Drake the singer specifically, but they do have a joke in there about how Drake had to give his little girl superpowers because being a middle aged man who creates three little girls doesn't look good. <laughs> Uh, th- one day, <laughs> just one day, we 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 have got to do this. Re- we have got to do a reading of this. <laughs> one day. Ah. Oh. Oh, so JoJo being a um, bit of a creepy stalker is <laughs> weird as well. Ah. Oh. Like they killed your dad. <laughs> in, in the cartoon, okay. In the cartoon, JoJo is technically the girls' cre- the creator of the uh, um the Powerpuff Girls in a weird sense. Mind you, how so? I don't recall so, that bit. So there was an episode where the um when Mojo had all the superpowers, and the professor and and he kidnaps the professor, and uh, the professor 
sees all this carnage wreckage that Jojo's doing, and he thinks back, and there's a moment, and he goes back to the time when jo- Mojo was his assistant, was the professor's assistant at this time, and then all of a sudden he snaps out and says, Mojo, Jojo, you were the worst lab assistant I ever had, and <laughs> he did all this, like, carnage in the lab. At one time, the professor was trying to create the girls, and Jojo accidentally pushes the professor, and his hand knocks onto Chemical X, and he created the Powerpuff Girls. Oh dear! <laughs> yeah, they don't make it that blatant in the uh, in the reboot. But Jojo, sorry, Mojo is still working with uh, Drake in the lab, and he's a bit upset that Drake gets all the credit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but but thankfully, thankfully, because of the, because of what happened with uh, the script and the reworking, they've decided to can the pilot for now. Yeah, I'm a bit worried. Like, is what they're going to? You know, they've already gone down this angle. Are they going to completely scrap it and write a make it just a straight Powerpuff Girls reboot? Or are they going to just rework this idea? Because I don't think you can salvage this idea while keeping it Powerpuff Girls branded. But you know what's going to be funny? But you know what would be funny though? I bet you, I bet you bottom dollar, someone is going to say, is going to make like a hashtag, hashtag release the, the Diablo cut. Oh no. <laughs> it'll be like it'll be like the Snyder cut in the with the worst way possible. <laughs> and can you imagine how bad of the reaction will it be when that if that comes out? I mean, I thought the uh the Sonic uh movie CGI blunder was bad. <laughs> I had no idea it could get worse. <laughs> Oh man! Well, at, at least it's not as bad as what's going on with uh, Xbox. Which you know, not as bad as I thought it was, because the uh, an Xbox de- developer actually explained the situation. So a couple of weeks ago, Modern Vintage Gamer uh, published a video with some details about the um, about how the DRM on the Xbox One S, sorry, Xbox Series works and criticizing it for making it hard to install games offline so i saw that and i was rather concerned initially uh thinking you know the the console isn't going to work when it's offline it's just going to be a brick but the disc consoles here in this case do function offline to an extent and the developer says that he thinks that it's because the error messages are really unclear and that they plan to oh he wants to make sure that they update the messages and make it more clear so the xbox series has backwards compatibility with some older games and because they haven't bothered to include any previous gen hardware the older games can't be installed without a internet connection because the disc in that case is just your license to install the game and that's for the original xbox and 360 this is the same case as on the xbox one where you need to be online to install a original 360 game but in this case um you also need to be online to install config files for xbox one games and then versions with smart delivery, uh, depending on how it's set up exactly, whether the disk was created in smart delivery in mind. And uh, so older games were made before the Series X was available to developers. So developers have made a smart delivery version, which gets downloaded from the internet when you first boot the game up or first install the game because they couldn't have predicted and created the disk containing the data obviously some versions act like the original xbox and 360 uh, mode where you need to insert the disc and it downloads the proper version of the game entirely from scratch and they call that a stub and in that case some of them the games weren't ready to have the full version installed uh in some cases it can't anyway because the game's too big for the disc but at the moment it seems like most games are coming with the primary Xbox One game and then a stub to allow smart delivery for the Series X. Now, the good news is your native series games can be installed offline. So we're already seeing a um, hopefully an improvement on the C-bomb issue from Sony. I'm not 100% sure whether the um, whether the Xbox Series has a CMOS chip in it that will 
Well, CMOS battery that requires a sync. Um, I'm just pulling up a source actually from Can It Play, sorry, Does It Play, who point out that, yeah, uh, the Xbox series will render all software unplayable eventually. Ah, oh, man. So does that, wait, so does that mean we're all eventually have to do wireless and no disc forever? Uh, no, it means that eventually your console will become unplayable. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's... And in this case, um, does it play a saying that it's better on PS5? Because in the case of C-Bomb, which is when the CMOS battery goes flat and the PS5 is unable to phone home and check the check with the home server, uh, so... It tries to store the current time and synchronizes that with the server when it's able to get online. But after the first time setup, you can theoretically take it offline and never plug it in again, as long as the CMOS battery never goes flat. If it ever goes flat, your console is dead until you plug it back into the internet. Uh, In this case, uh, on the PS5, discs still work offline. Thank God. But discs on the uh, Series X series still require activation yeah hence you need hence you need the internet connection yeah uh, so i understand why they've done it in this case for blocking piracy uh and all of that but i also doubt that they will let you um they will let you want your <coughs> sorry mod your xbox in a few years and work around this i doubt that they're going to release an official patch to disable that when they choose to stop supporting it so the series also comes in a discless model which like i said for the ps5 is utterly useless when the servers go offline yeah the sad theoretically you can play your digital games offline but we don't know exactly what um at this age we don't know exactly whether the we'll be able to keep doing this in the future and you can't even rely on using a new xbox so if you have an xbox that dies and you get your hands on a new one and transfer your hard drive over to the new one so that you don't have to re-download all your games. That used to be a viable way of preserving your games on your console if the uh, if you weren't able to get online to download them. Or even if you don't have an internet connection at your place, which increasingly unlikely, but still likely, uh, still common enough, if you don't have an internet connection at your location, you could go to a friend's house and download the games onto a hard drive, then bring them back and play them. Um, this locks that out because when you first try to launch the game, it checks online to make sure that the uh, to register the game to your console. Yeah, and yeah, I think games companies, well, console companies, uh, do a bad job of communicating with with buyers about the licensing. I think it's, uh, I agree with you there, there's the whole communication problem, but there's also the whole fact of like, you know how before you install the game, there's this big, long thing you have to read, and then you go yeah, at the bottom the and you go, like, I EULA? Yeah, the EULA. Oh, EULAs are awful. And in the US, they're not enforceable in court because nobody can be expected to read a EULA because they're all just legal jargon, which most people don't understand. And... If you read every EULA you came across, you would literally die before you got to play anything. Really? I mean, not literally, but (laughs) EULAs are big and long, and if you wanted to understand everything in the EULA, you'd be giving up a significant fraction of your time. And, you know, I'm seeing an issue here. If you, well, I used to travel with my family a lot. We lived in a caravan for a few years while we traveled, and we had an original PlayStation, the PlayStation 1, that we could plug into the TV in the caravan and play a game on when we were, you know, wherever we were. And back then, it was even harder to get an internet connection as a vagrant. My mouth is not working tonight, but it would be even... (laughs) even harder to get an internet connection than it is now. Not that it's much better now, because even with uh, MBN and Starlink, you still need the the connection to be active at the right time when you want to launch the game. You can't just set it up and go home and play. <clears throat> now, they made a huge blunder last time when they launched the Xbox One and said, if you, if you don't have internet, buy a 360. <laughs> what do I do now, Microsoft? You've ended production on the 360. 
this uh, this sort of thing though sets a very dangerous precedent though like it it makes it sound like you want nostalgia no then screw you we're not going to give you nostalgia nostalgia's dead boys <laughs> <laughs> yes it's killing the nostalgia and I get the whole like, okay, we're killing the piracy and stuff. But what choice do you does Microsoft? What choice do the consumers have if you want if we want to enjoy the old games? Like, I mean, Halo One is okay, is popular, still popular to this day. But the PC edition, my, I, I want to try the Xbox edition rather than the PC edition. But I can't get the Xbox edition because you guys have destroyed. You guys won't let us play the original Xbox One edition. You want us to try the remastered edition, which might, which may or may not have uh, changed the live elements in it. But- okay, so the issue with specifically Halo, I get your point, but specifically the problem with Halo yeah. is that the company that ported it to PC originally, Gearbox Software, yeah. didn't do the most detailed port. And there's a few reasons for that. The Xbox had slightly unique hardware that wasn't widespread on PCs at the time. Um they might have been rushed. I really don't know. You know, we don't know the truth unless someone internal comes out and says it to us. Yeah. Um, but-, but the gearbox went and made the game and messed up a whole bunch of stuff graphically, particularly the AI and stuff. So is arguably different. Um, it's been a while since I played Halo on my Xbox, but so I don't recall whether it has changed or not. But a lot of people say the AI and other stuff that's harder to quantify is worse. But the graphics, if you play Master Chief Collection in on Halo 1 in old graphics mode, it looks atrocious because they messed up the graphics. <laughs> and then the company that did the um, remaster for Master Chief Collection, I think Saber might have been, um, they based it off the Gearbox port. So there are mistakes that carry over into the Master Chief Collection because Gearbox made a mistake 20 years ago. <laughs> and yeah, it was just sa- recently it was the they rolled out a patch to fix up some of that. But there's still some areas uh, that are way, very well, by obvious the way, mistakes. Sorry the, it's uh, a Saber 3D engine. That's, okay. Yeah, Saber, oh yeah, Saber Interactive. That's the yeah, company. that's the one. So Saber looked at the, um, the PC port where transparency was broken and interpreted a sort of force field effect as smoke. So now in Master Chief Collection, there is smoke where there should be a force field. Huh? <laughs> Wait, what? It's not like, I don't think it's hugely noticeable, but it's just an example of how even with things that are supposed to be nostalgic remasters, the mistakes just accumulate. <laughs> But yeah, but that being said, though, how you reckon from a game developer's perspective, the whole idea of releasing stuff on CDs and discs is just uh, is now it's becoming dead. it's dead. Oh yeah, it's dead. But the whole I but that that whole um like nostalgic feeling, you know, like when game games would come out on CD and stuff. You reckon that feeling has died now? Now we got the online editions, and now with with this sort of mess. I think a lot of the um, things that people will be nostalgic for in 10 or 15 years, so all the games that are coming out in the 2010s, uh, we're going to lose a lot of them without a con- concentrated effort to preserve them. And not because by their nature it's hard to preserve them, but because things that developers have done have made it harder. Choices that developers made when it comes to the hardware, uh, things like C-Bomb. So... You know, older consoles, usually there's, um, you need, so, okay, let me straighten this out. Anything before the late 90s, you could modify to your heart's content and, you know, repair, replace parts, and you probably wouldn't have an issue. Then in the late 90s, things started to become more locked down, like the uh, original PlayStation. The disc reader is paired to the, um, paired to the, the unit. I'm not sure exactly why, and maybe it's to prevent uh, piracy, or maybe that's the excuse they'll use if you ask them. But it also has the effect of preventing you from repairing your PlayStation if it breaks, which means that if your PlayStation breaks, all of your games on it, you can't play it. Um, Then as we've come along and internet access has become more reliable and more games have access to the internet, we have day one patches, um, multiplayer modes, always online, and that's going to make it harder to really 
produce a preserve a game. So something like Watch Dogs, as an example I'm pulling out of my hat, has a multiplayer mode that consists of two players loading in and like a player will get added to your world while you're playing the single player and you then have to track them. I don't recall whether the host player tracks them or if the intruder tracks the host, but the goal is to track down the opposing player and kill them. And one player is the hunter, one player is the mouse. Um, so assuming there's no online DRM checks there, which I highly doubt uh, it's true because this is Ubisoft we're talking about, mm. um, you can preserve the game, but it's likely that in the future you'll only ever be able to play the single player without intrusions, which, to be fair, in the future, less people are going to be playing, so there's going to be less intrusions. But Ubisoft is probably not going to release the server code allowing people to run custom post-custom servers. And in the past, there's been big efforts to backwards engineer the servers so that people can keep playing a game when the official server shuts down. Yeah. It even happens to MMOs like World of Warcraft um, used to have them. They cracked down on them around the time they announced uh, the World of Warcraft Classic mode. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, but that's an example of a feature you won't be able to play in the future because you won't have access to the servers. Now, games that are fully um, MMOs are pretty obviously the type that you'll lose from um, from the servers going down. But there are more and more games that are like Watch Dogs that have that sort of feature and also rely on an always online DRM check, even games that don't have a multiplayer component at all. And even in the in the future, you won't even be able to play the single player mode. So what would be the solution if this problem ever comes back up again? Um, okay, so the ultimate solutions for these, in my opinion, are right to repair. We need to be allowed to repair our consoles when they break. You can't pair the... I don't think you should be able to pair the CD drive with the motherboard. Because if the CD drive breaks and you haven't hacked your console... You can't replace it and keep playing. You need to send it into the repair shop. And what do you do when the repair shop's gone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then you'll have to do a backyard surgery version of the console. Yeah, well, and that's not good. And that's not safe at all. What if the hacking process, it, it can be perfectly safe. But what if the hacking process requires a CD drive to be working to perform the hack? Mm. You can't burn your hacking CD and put it in if your CD drive has already died. Yeah. So I think we should push back against pairing hardware together um, in the name of right to repair. <laughs> and I think from the game developer side, um, I think I don't know how to make the changes that would allow it to happen, but I think more games with multiplayer components should release the, the servers when they officially shut down. Because then if a game is popular, somebody somewhere will keep a fan server going for you, and then you'll be able to log into that and play it without relying on the official servers, which don't exist anymore. And it won't cost the developers much, really, releasing the code. Um, there's licensing issues that would need to be dealt with, but there's no ongoing cost to that, as at, far at as least, I understand it. At, at least the, the bright side is, if it was like, if it was Nintendo, we know Nintendo and their history of um, <laughs> making of fan service and and whatnot, with the with their idea of giving everything a cease desist, cease and desist, basically. Oh yeah. Like if it was yeah. like Blizzard or something, maybe they can be. They were maybe they might be nice enough. I mean, they were nice enough when they when Dota was was a thing, but before it became a big big game, they've gotten a lot worse about that recently. Really? Yeah. Well, keep in mind, um, Warcraft Three. What do they call it? Warmastered or something? Oh, Reforged. Yeah. Reforged. That's it. Yeah. Warmastered. What is that one? It's another one that got a remaster recently. Anyway, uh, Warcraft Three Reforged. Um, that was terrible. Is, yeah, it's a terrible example, and it also completely removed the original from the store. Even if you own the original, it replaced the original, and it's worse. Graphically, it's moderately improved, but by doing that, they also did the laziest job possible. And instead of having you know animated or pseudo-animated cutscenes where it would zoom in on your units as they moved around, it just shows you the standard bird's-eye view from the RTS and has the units going around with the subtitles. So they completely ruined the sort of the direction of the cutscenes. Mm. It's like if you went in to watch 
the remake of a movie and there were no like camera cuts or angle changes or anything. So it was just one shot. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be And it's be not awkward. even like a good shot. No. Oh, that would be awkward. Really awkward. Yeah, so they ruined the cinematics in Warcraft Tree Reforged and took away the original Warcraft Tree. Ah, uh, yeah. But okay, I got a question for you though. Um in ter- what if they what, what if they're doing all this like online um instead of CDs as a way to put more emphasis on playing on playing it on a multiplayer front. I think a lot of companies are doing that because yeah. multiplayer is the kind of cheap now. to develop if you have an engine that supports multiplayer already. It's kind of cheap. You don't have to focus on AI. Um, you can have a simpler loop um, and you extend the playtime of your game significantly like most of the playtime of a game like call of duty or battlefield is in the multiplayer mode not the not the campaign right yeah so if you just make a multiplayer game and slap the laziest campaign on then you can have the multiplayer last for years and also sell costumes or power-ups or whatever through your online store and have a um, recurring revenue there. No longer are your gamers going to pay $60 for a game and go home and play it by themselves in their in their bedroom with not come out for a week. Now they're going to do it for months and play and then also send you money so they can wear a silly costume. <laughs> You can see why the people behind the money want that to happen. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, a lot of games are adding multiplayer features so they can sell microtransactions. Yeah. But what if the but what if they're gonna what if they just using it just to make the console go longer? You know, like into like in order to get the Xbox One, you have to play the multiplayer and only the multiplayer. No, the CDs. Uh, like screw the CD, screw the CDs, and playing single player. We just want you to only play the multiplayer. Like, what if the multiplayer was the only selling point? That is also okay. Multiplayer is also a bit of a selling point, and um, not necessarily for the same factors. But multiplayer is a selling point because if you want to play multiplayer games with your friends, you need the same console. Yeah. So the uh, last couple of generations, it's been all about getting people onto your platform to begin with so that the they then go back and get all their friends to join them on that platform. Okay. But I think that's uh, related to a different issue to this. Fair enough. Uh, anyways, in the interest of time, we should move on to our uh, next topic. Uh, oh, what? You don't want me to talk? Six hours about how DRM is ruining ruining our heritage. <laughs> hey, by the time we finish this conversation, by the time we finish talking about it, we'll be seeing more crazy, more red crabs crawling around the area. <laughs> and yes, Bad that was a very, segue. very lazy. <laughs> that was a very, very lazy segue. I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, I do our final topic. Um, so scientists have uh, found a way how to to um, control the crazy ants in Christmas Island. And it involves crabs. Red crabs. And I don't mean the crab dance that you see in every meme. So how are the crabs and the ants related? So the red crabs, um, they're they're famed throughout the world as uh, with a yearly migration onto, uh, to the sea, which turns the islands into red carpets. So... In 2016, micro um uh, sorry, 2016 scientists introduced a micro Malaysian micro wasp to try and deprive the crazy ants of its food of its food source honey um dew, which is produced by an insect called the yellow sl- yellow lac scale. This wasp uh, intends to spread under the own stream of an island very well and has done a terrific job of controlling the yellow lac scale. Uh, okay, scientists- but the reason they're doing this is because the crazy ants are killing the crabs. Yeah. Hang on a second. Uh, the, yeah, crazy ants are invasive in Christmas Island. Yeah, and they have killed more than thirty million uh, red ants. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of red ants there to begin with, but uh, sorry, a lot of red crabs there to begin with, but that's still a big fraction. Oh yeah. So the scientists have now been uh, introducing micro wasps and uh, mi- uh, actually micro wasps to curb the whole uh, food source. As a way yeah. of controlling it, I mean, it's an it's an interesting idea using biological control on on a on ants. The risk is, what if your biological control goes rogue? 
Oh yeah. You know I mean, about cane toads, right? Yeah, the they were they trying... were brought in to control the cane beetle, which was eating the sugar cane. Turns out cane toads don't eat cane beetles <laughs> and prefer to eat Aussie things. And now they're all over the place. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that was a. That was a big, big boo-boo. Yeah, that was back in like the 50s, before we knew how how it worked. Now um, we pretend we know how it works. Like, the scientists are a lot more careful about it. I mean, as much as I like to see the crazy ants not uh, not kill the uh, red crabs, I'm just... I'm, I agree with you. If they, I'm worried about the whole if they go rogue and destroy the ecosystem. Yeah, um, and they're planning on bringing in more species of micro wasps, hoping that that will further suppress the crazy ants. Mind you, one of them is actually a pest in the Australian agriculture sector. Okay, <laughs> the African micro wasp, apparently, and they uh, one of the one of them quoted uh, saying, "When do you?" When do you um when when you do biocontrol like this, you're looking for biocontrol agents that's very host specific. The Department of Agriculture has a very strict set of guidelines that they lay down in terms of doing the science and building the case. Yeah, so you want it to be host specific because unlike um you know chemicals, which if you could find something that's host specific in chemicals, I guess you can usually get it to within particular types. Uh, as an example, Roundup is theoretically, I know there's a lot of debate about it, but should only be poisonous to plants because it affects an enzyme pathway that only exists in plants, not in animals. So the risk there is overspraying it and killing off things that you don't want to harm. But theoretically, it shouldn't harm the animals, and also it breaks down in the environment and doesn't continue to harm the animals. The problem with any sort of bioweapon is that bioweapons reproduce, and if you don't have them perfectly locked down to a particular target, they go rogue and wreck the ecosystem like cane toads. The other cra- the other problem with bioweapons is their reproducibility. And How is that I- different to what I just said? Oh right, sorry. I I um I, I actually no. I was going to say um the weaponization. Imagine editing the gene code of a of a species to carry other uh, diseases. Yeah. Um. So yeah, in this case, they're using the uh the micro wasps to starve the crazy ants by controlling the shellac. Uh, lac scale, sorry. Shellac is a product made from the using lac scales. So I'm not sure I'm convinced this is a great idea. I don't think we really know enough about the ecosystem to be able to do this accurately. Um, it's an interesting, um, interesting problem to solve. Uh, and not to mention, like, even if you even if you get this successfully done, like, the how, will this affect the the big the other big picture? You have to wonder is the tourism angle. Like, will this uh, improve the tourism or not improve the tourism? Because I mean, seeing the red crabs like coming down from the road and stuff, it's always a tourist attraction. Yes, that's why they're probably working. Um, like, apart from preventing the ecosystem damage, they also want to save it for the local economy so it's possible that they're rushing into this because of the threat to the economy like the it's the only thing i know about christmas island yeah so it's a you know it's a big tourist draw then just curiously the red crabs they're not endangered species are they i don't think so let me have a look is although the it's a population is under great assault by ants as of 2020, the red crab has not been assessed by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, and it is not listed on their red list. Huh. Okay. Okay, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, good to hear that it's not endangered yet. Obviously, the fear is that the uh, crazy ants could wipe them out, but good to hear that so far that's not happening. Yeah. Anyways, we'll be uh, right back with our, uh, our, our sp- with our message from our sponsors, and we're back with our notable things, shoutouts, and events, and famous birthdays and events of interest. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, Professor, what nerdful thing have you done? Um, I haven't done a whole lot. What have I done? <laughs> have I watched anything? I haven't played anything. So, in other words, you didn't do much. No, I've been rather busy this week, getting ready for some moving and stuff. Oh yeah, fair enough, fair enough. What have I been, what have I been doing? I've been watching. I've been. Okay, a second. I've, I, I saw. <laughs> I, I, okay, actually, no. I saw um Dota Dota the anime. Okay, is it good? It's it's interesting. It is interesting how the the sto- the story they're going for in this one. Hang on a second, I gotta find it. It's, they're, tr- they're trying to, f- it, it's, uh, hang on a second, uh, it's called Dota Dragon's Blood, and the plot is basically set in the fantasy world following, uh, the story follows Dragon Knight Davian, who hunts dragons to make the world a safer place. In a battle between demons and dragons, an elder dragon merges his soul with Davian. Along with the moon princess Mirana, Davian pursues a journey to stop the demon Terrorblade who wants to kill dragons and collect their souls. And I gotta say, it's got a very impressive cast of uh, voice actors in this. Yeah, Dota's um, Dragon's Blood. It's it's a good series. I won't spoil much of the uh, the plot, but yeah, it has a good good amount of pacing and the character development is there. So yeah, yeah. Um, I would give this a series a four out of five. Okay, so it's based on the Dota game, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, recently I watched Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah? Is that the one with Tom Cruise in it? Yeah, and he, you know, lives the same day over and over again. <laughs> Basically Groundhog Day, but with aliens. It's, um... <laughs> oh. Sorry, it's it's pretty good. I think the the story and the way they handle the time sort of time travel element was good. Um, I like that it wasn't just a guy with superpowers has to live the same day over and over again to learn how to survive it, but that it was actually uh, a significant part of the plot was about dealing with the the aliens um, who themselves used the power. So yeah, I think yeah, four out of five. Nice, nice. I've heard that series was based off an anime, if I recall. Yeah, an anime or a manga. Um, I think it was a manga called Live Die Repeat. Yeah. Which is now the new subtitle of Edge of Tomorrow. Apparently, they announced the sequel and that the whole series is going to be. Um, I think it's all titled Live Die Repeat now. Oh no, sorry, it's All You Need Is Kill. That's the one. But yeah, now the whole series is uh, going to be called. Live, Die, Repeat, and Edge of Tomorrow is a subtitle. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, uh, so on to our shout-outs. On the 22nd of May 2021, Yuan Luping passed away at 90. He was the father of hybrid rice, developed in the 1970s. He developed his hybrid strain after discovering a wild specimen by a railroad track in um, Hainan. Hybrid rice was a significant advance in the green revolution when new techniques and varieties of crops alleviated food shortages around the world. Professor Yuan wrote that seeing the bodies of people who had died of starvation drove him to complete his work. He died from multiple organ failure in Changsha. Have you ever tried it? Hybrid rice? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just rice that happens to grow prolifically. Yeah. And it was important because between the hybrid rice and a few other discoveries, um, a lot of uh, a lot of extra food was able to be grown in a smaller area, which alleviated for means all over the world. Like back in the seventies, when this research was going on, people thought we were close to the carrying capacity of the Earth, and discovering stuff like this has expanded the carrying capacity by several billion. Of course, we're still going to run into problems when we run out of that. But, um, you know, it that's for our grandkids to deal with. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So uh, on the 24th of May 2021, the 30th anniversary of Thelma and Louise passed. This was a 1991 movie directed by Ridley Scott about two best friends who go on a road trip to escape their boring lives but end up out of their depth on the run from the police. It was notable for being female-led, but criticized for being anti-man. When an interviewer suggested the male parts weren't good enough, writer Callie Corey said, So what? 
Susan Sarandon also noted that it was unusual to have two female friends in a movie. The movie received six Oscar nominations and one Best Original Screenplay. That was a good movie. And so many... So, and I, I, my favorite bit about it is how The Simpsons made parodied that movie. Yeah, there are so many parodies of that ending. <sighs> On the same day, Samuel E. Wright passed away. Samuel famously played the crab in the Little Mermaid and performed Under the Sea. Under the sea, under the sea. Sorry. He also performed, um, performed as Mufasa in the Broadway adaptation of The Lion King. He received two Tony nominations. He died in Walden, New York. The 27th of May saw the 35th anniversary of the first Dragon Quest game. The series has 11 main series games and spin-off series. There's all, there also has been a manga, ad, manga, anime, and novels set in the franchise adapting almost every main series game. Dragon Quest's main games follow a turn-based combat model in, in an RPG, usually with the main character out of out to defeat a great evil. The games were inspired by Wizardry and Ultima. Yuji Hori, the creator of the series, said, I want to thank the fans who have always loved the Dragon Quest series and continue to support it throughout the years, and also the new players who are just beginning their adventure in the world of Dragon Quest. I hope we continue to celebrate the series for another 35 years. And there's a new one coming out, if I recall. I mean, they've been coming out for 35 years, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. Although, I heard that uh, with the new one, there might not be a... Uh, it might not be coming to the Western countries, if I recall. Check. Here we go. So, they're saying that uh, there might not... So, Dragon Quest uh, number 10 is going to be off offline. Um, it's not going to be coming to offline. It'll be a Japanese release only. Okay. That's so, a shame. Hmm? That's a shame. I assume they um, aren't getting enough uh, profit in the West. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the same day, Eric Carr, author of The Very Hungry Caterpillar, died. He worked on over 75 books as a writer or illustrator. He believed that kids are eager to learn but afraid of the unknown, which aimed to counteract with his books. Originally, The Very Hungry Caterpillar was conceived as a bookworm, and the title would have been A Week with Will the Worm. His editor suggested the change. The book was published in 1969 and has sold 40 million copies in 60 languages. Eric Carle once said, I remember that as a child I always felt I would never grow up and be big and articulate and intelligent. Caterpillar is a book of hope. You too can grow up and grow wings. Oh, that almost sounds like a Red Bull Red Bull tagline. <laughs> uh, on to our remembrances. Leslie Smith, co-founder of Lesney Products, passed away on the 26th of May 2005. Lesney Products, named by combining his name with his co-founder Rodney Smith's, uh, created the Matchbox car. Lesney was founded as a die. In national, uh, industrial die casting company, but found success fulfilling contracts for toy parts between industrial orders. The first die cast vehicle they created was a road roller, followed by several other designs. In 1953, they created two sizes of a model of the Royal State Coach used by Queen Elizabeth II's coronation. The smaller model sold over a million units and paved the way for for their future designs. And interestingly, uh, if I recall. If I recall, they were the guys behind the Hot Wheels. As well. They were bought by Hot Wheels, if I recall. But uh, Leslie died at the age of 87. But on our birthday, on our famous birthdays, on the 26th of May 1949, Ward Cunningham was born. Howard G. Cunningham developed the first wiki and co-authored the manifesto for agile software development, among a variety of more obscure ideas. He started work on the WikiWiki web on in 1994 publishing it in 1995. He never considered a wiki as something worth money, so he didn't bother patenting, patenting, uh, patenting it the idea. He was interested in the sociology of editing a collaborative wiki by tracking edits. He's also credited with the idea that the best way to get the right answer on the internet is not to ask a question, it's to post the wrong answer. <laughs> Ah oh, man, that's so. So he's the guy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> apparently he is. <laughs> this idea boils down to the perceived habit of internet users to tear apart incon incorrect answers instead of being the first to answer a question. <laughs> I guess that's how Reddit was created then. Pretty much. <laughs> 
So uh, on to our events of interest. On the same day in 1970, the Tupolev Tu-144 became the first commercial supersonic aircraft to exceed Mark II. The first supersonic flight of the Tu-144 prototype beat the Concorde by two months. 16 144s were built, flying 102 commercial flights at a cruising speed of over 2,000 kilometers per hour. The 144 could carry 140 passengers. Apparently, they're now thinking of bringing that, um, bringing that airline, bringing that model back, the uh, Concorde. I mean, yeah, it's um, an interesting concept. I mean, there's a reason it kind of died out. It's noisy. It's dirty. I think they need to find a big improvement in fuel efficiency for it to be worth bringing back. Yeah. Uh, also on the same day in 2007, Deadly Skies released. The plot follows a scientist who has identified a massive asteroid on a collision course with Earth, but is unable to convince everyone to take her situations, uh, simulations seriously. The scientist teams up with the former Air Force colonel to break into a secure f- facility to secure to steal a military laser to destroy the asteroid. Deadly Skies was also known as Ultimate Limit and Force of Impact. <laughs> Man, the title phrasing. The uh, international releases include changes to the lead's relationship by removing sex scenes and adding an additional s- establishing scene for their romance. But uh, anyways, that's all we have for this week. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that's not canon.com, where we have an archive of our old episodes and new episodes. And you can also find new podcasts such as Taboos, which is a podcast discussing topics and concepts that are typically viewed as too taboo to t- openly talk about and often, dr- often with drinks in hand. Anything from pole dancing to politics and everything in between. Forget the haters, join us. Do you be taboos? Great name. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of uh, TNC podcasts that uh, involve alcohol, though. <laughs> Wasn't there another one called A Glass of Wine? Yeah. But yeah, uh, take care of yourselves, stay hydrated, and uh, see you next week. Still my line. See ya. <laughs> Here we go. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.